The Truth News Network. In 1970, Ray Davies wrote, Girls will be boys and boys will be girls. It's a mixed up, muddled up, shook up world. Now I ask you, who would have ever thought of Ray Davies as a prophet? Well, that's a discussion worth having a beer over. So, pardon the expression, some straight talk. You're in luck. We're TNN, the Truth News Network. And straight talk is what we do. And your Latter-day Prophet is Dan Newman. I never even heard the name Ray Davies before, before I heard Pete Moss bring it up. Anyway, I know it'll shock you, but there are a lot of things that I don't know. A lot of people's names I don't know. I'm old. I'm ancient. I'm almost 70 years old. But anyway, Ray Davies, if he got it right, he certainly got it right predicting what we are dealing with today. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Friday edition of TNN Live, the last day we're going to air in the month of June. Can you believe it? June is already gone. So we're about to begin the dog days of summer, July and August, when it's supposed to be the hottest. We're on the beach in southeast Georgia, and I can tell you, 101, 102 degrees every day. You can only imagine we're on the beach, so you know about humidity when you're around water. It's been incredibly sticky and hot. Air conditioners don't work as good as they normally work when it gets so humid and certainly when it gets so hot. But we're having a great time. Hate to finish our week, but we're going to finish it. And many of you are going to have a long holiday weekend. Tuesday is July 4th the day we celebrate our independence, and uh, many people are going to have that long weekend off. And I encourage you, spend it with family. Spend as much time as you can with your family. You'll never regret it. I just walked upstairs to do this show, and I walked out of a meeting, a Newman family meeting, with with both of our daughters. Our son couldn't, and his wife couldn't come on the trip. And one son-in-law, And we were talking about things that happened in our family when our girls were in junior high school. Some of it we laughed at. Some of it we just shook our heads. Life is up and life is down. But you know, when you put it all together, the ups and the downs, if your your summation comes up and the ups were better or were more in number than were the downs, I think in today's society, as a family, you can consider it a great success. We've got great children. We have great-grandchildren. I have an amazing son-in-law, and I'm just so proud to be part of this family. And they invited Marianne and I to join them on this family vacation. So we're honored. We certainly are blessed. And I'm happy to share this day last day of June with you and start the day together with a kind of soft song but a great hit Desperado Why don't you come to your senses You've been out riding fences for so long now Oh your heart one 
this week together and let me just tell you this we have some very controversial things to discuss with you today and I want you to understand something I'm a guy that believes in the rule of law the strict rule of law I believe the law can and in many cases is flawed and when it is flawed our forefathers put together a structure of government that includes a very important whole part of the government, actually one-third of it, and that is the Justice Department. That's where the determinations are to be made constitutionally based upon controversial laws and things that are put in place by leadership to make sure that all of those things comport to the rule of law as laid out in the U.S. Constitution. It's not about social, quote-unquote, norms, or what people, anybody, me, you, 
anybody, even an office, an elected office, it doesn't matter what we think. What's important is that all of it, good, bad, and ugly, is determined by us, all align with what is constitutionally provided for us. And that's what the U.S. Supreme Court did yesterday. One of the most controversial decisions they've ever made, maybe in this case, even more than the Dobbs decision from a year ago, that everybody on the left wants to say, it made abortion illegal. They blew up Roe v. Wade. No, they didn't blow up Roe v. Wade. They made a determination based on the Constitution. And listen to what I'm about to say. The only thing the Supreme Court put out there in the Dobbs decision a year ago was that there is no federal law that makes abortion legal. That's all the Dobbs decision said. And they basically threw those whole things about abortion, timing, when is it okay, when is it not okay. They threw it back to the courts, out of the courts in D.C., to the courts in each of the 50 states, and the legislatures in each of the 50 states. So the Supreme Court did not overturn abortion. There never was a federal law that made abortion legal. That's all the Dobb decision said. Now, of course, that's not what's portrayed even today, a year later, in the general public, because the left want everybody to think that those evil conservatives on this Supreme Court decided you got to take away the right to abortion to women. That's not the case at all. And the ruling that was made yesterday on affirmative action, yesterday, even from our president, you're going to hear from him about this issue in just a few minutes. They want to take the affirmative action case that applied to college admissions, admissions to college determined by race. And the Supreme Court ruled simply, you can't do that. That's all it says. It did not say you can't let African-American people get into college, get into some of these colleges, the elite colleges, and get in line in front of some other people. All they said was you can't make those determinations based solely on race. That's not good enough for the left. Now, let's do this. Nicole Wallace, who was a leftist uh, news media person for NBC, she was the first place that President Biden went after the Supreme Court rolled out their decision yesterday. And I want you to listen to two short segments where Nicole Wallace is talking to President Biden Ask him questions and his responses. You said today, um, and I, I know that you have a lot of power, but I can't imagine you manuf- manufactured the breaking news about the court. You said this court is not normal. What did you mean? What I meant by that is it's done more to unravel basic rights and basic decisions than any court in re- recent history. And uh, that's what I meant by not normal. It's, it's, it's gone out of its way to, I mean, for example, take a look at, overruling Roe v. Wade. Take a look at what the decision today. Take a look at how it's uh, how it's ruled on a number of issues that are have been precedent for 50, 60 years sometimes. 
And that's what I meant by not normal. So President Biden, he just made his case by calling that decision yesterday. That, by the way, affirmative action decision, it was written by one of the two African-American justices, Clarence Thomas. So a black man makes this determination. He didn't make it by himself. It was a 6-3 decision. Three against 6-4. But he wrote the opinion of the majority. And he included some explanations in his opinion that I want to get to in just a couple of minutes. But here's the second segment, Nicole Wallace with President Biden, that I want you to hear. But I want to point something out, and I'm going to stop this one kind of in the middle of it. I want to point out what President Biden says specifically. The majority pulls the ripcord and announces colorblindness for all by legal fiat. The deeming race irrelevant in law does not make it so in life. It's so simple. Okay, that's Nicole Wallace. Deeming racism illegal in law does not make it normal in life. Now, wait a minute. This is Democrat talking to a Democrat, and she's making the case, and you're going to hear the president weigh in on that. She's making the case that, you know what? They're not letting us use race anymore based on this opinion, and that's not normal. Huh? But so right. How, how did the how did the six get it so wrong? Well, I, you know, that's... Look, remember the Federalist Society when you were uh, in another administration? In another party, yeah. Well, I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> because, but the Federalist Society was, had a very, very strict con- construction of the Constitution. Yeah. And if it didn't, they used the word, it didn't exist. But this administration, this, this, this court has gone beyond that. And, uh, and I, I just find it, um, I don't know how to express it find it just so out of sorts with the basic value system of the American people. And I think that across the board, the vast majority of the American people don't agree with a lot of the decisions this court is making. I mean, I think some some of your former Senate colleagues on the Judiciary Committee would go as far as to say that it's anti-democratic. Do you agree with that? Well, you know, if I say it's anti-democratic, then it gets in a lot of trouble. No, no, no. But but it, it is, its its value system is different, than and its its respect for institutions is different. Okay. Let me ask you a question. The Constitution is not a really long document. I'm sure it points in your life. You've read all or parts of it. You did probably in American history. I did, and I've skimmed it many many times since. There is not a single place in the U.S. Constitution that I can get this, and I'll play it again. This is President Biden. Listen. And and it's, it's respect for institutions is different. The courts, this court's respect for institutions is different. Now, let me ask you this. What is the Supreme Court supposed to do? What was it formed to do. It has one job and one job only. When a case goes through 
multiple layers of courts, state courts, and then federal courts, and then federal appeals courts, and oh, I forgot one step in between, state courts, then the state Supreme Courts, then the federal district courts, then to federal appeals courts. When it goes through all of that layers, if it gets to the Supreme Court, they have one job. What is that? They are to look at every one of these issues based not on a man-made institution, not on what's socially acceptable for the time, but what does it say about that particular case in the United States Supreme Court? That's the sole, the only job of the U.S. Supreme Court. But that doesn't work with this leftist group that are running this government. Everything the court comes out with, they demand that it comports to the social structure that men have made like institutions. And those institutions supposedly speak for the will of the people. That's not what the law says. There are three separate divisions in our government, co-equal branches. We have the legislative branch. That's Congress. They may call the laws. We have the executive branch. That's Joe Biden, everybody in the White House, his administration also included the Department of Justice. And then we have the judiciary branch. That's all the court systems, federal courts that operate in districts around the country. And then, of course, the federal appeals courts and then the Supreme Court. They're all separate. The Supreme Court, these people think the court is supposed to decide things based upon the will of whoever's in the majority in the House and the Senate and in the White House. By jingos, we've got a Democrat in the White House. We have a Democrat-controlled Senate. We lost control of the House, but we have more in charge, and so the Supreme Court is supposed to rule on everything that comes before it based upon what we think. No, they don't. It's to be based solely on what the U.S. Supreme Court says. And in that sense, it is, uh, it is not as embracing of, of all what I think. The, con- the Constitution says we hold these truths to be self that all men and women are created equal, endowed by their creator. First of all, this, the Constitution doesn't say any of that. <laughs> that, was in, uh, that was in the Declaration of Independence, Mr. President. It's the uniqueness of America. We never fully lived up to it. We never walked away from it. And this court seems to say that, no, that's not always the case. The idea there's no right of privacy in the Constitution, giving states power that we fought a war over in 19... Giving states power that we fought a war over. What war was he talking about? Well, he tells you. He tells you right here. What war was it? In 1960. Um, you know, I, I... What war did we fight in 1860? <laughs> Civil War. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And there was an amendment, the 14th Amendment, 15th Amendment. Those set the fact that further clarifying equal justice under the law. You know, I, I just think it's... Um, 
This is not your father's Republican Party. Okay, we're talking about the Supreme Court. He says, explaining all of the back and forth that he was going through with Nicole Wallace and he couldn't even speak intelligently, but nevertheless, it was about, this is not your father's Republican Party. He very plainly says, everything he's referencing in this conversation with Nicole Wallace has to do with politics, not the United States Constitution. Do you get what this is all about? This is about politics. This is about who's in charge. And what we are watching play out today in front of us, every day, if you just watch a few little snippets on different news networks, not sit there all day, you don't have to do it to go, oh my gosh, there it is, there it is, I've been waiting for an hour. It is the backdrop for every news story presented on leftist media outlets. They don't just give Americans the news, the news being the facts of things that are happening. They don't do it. Oh, they give us the facts. But then they began to pontificate their particular political narrative explaining what those facts mean. That's not news. That's opinion. And there are places in the news where opinions are not only allowed, they are really accepted. The Wall Street Journal has a massive opinion section every day, and it gives a lot of different perspectives. And the news media on the left, the legacy media, that's what they think they're supposed to do as well. And you know what? That's okay. These are private companies. They can do what they want. Why? Well, this is America. We have the First Amendment, the freedom of speech. And the First Amendment applies to news outlets as well. So there was another perspective overnight in the wee hours of the morning on Fox News. I didn't watch it live, but I scrolled early this morning when I get up as I do every day to make sure we didn't miss anything that happened in the wee hours of the morning. A conversation on Fox News with several of their news commentators, and they even bring some of the legacy, the left-wing legacy news outlets and their opinion about this affirmative action decision that came out of the court yesterday. Listen to this. 1619 Project creator Nicole Hannah-Jones blessing the Supreme Court over its ruling on affirmative action. First, she trashes, trashes the decision as the most American ruling ever, blaming, quote, rich white people for the outcome and calls Justice Clarence Thomas irrelevant. Fox Nation host Tyrus joins us now. Tyrus, what do you think about her tweets? Uh, this is this is the left 101. When it doesn't go my way, it's racist, and any any black man or woman involved in the process who didn't agree with them, obviously they're irrelevant. So that was the disc. Just just go wham. Just complain. I mean, that's what children do. They never can accept a decision. And it, affirmative action was even, the case was even being brought up because Asian Americans felt that they were not getting a fair opportunity. So rich white people didn't have nothing to do with that one either. I just that's always the go-to. That's the favorite thing when you don't have an argument, when you don't have anything to talk about in terms of merit. You just blame it on rich white people. And it's been a cushion that's been allowed in this country for a long time. And now as you see more, uh, that's the new pillow. My, my pillow's got nothing on the new pillow of blame rich white people because you can rest your head on it in any argument. Bring any argument 
up with me anything sure. to ask me any question. How are the Knicks doing this year? Well, why am I supposed to know that? I'm not a rich white person. See what I'm saying? Like, you can just use it for anything. Well, it's not, just, it's not just Nicole Hannah-Jones lashing out. The mainstream media melting down. Let's take a look. Is this leading to no women in colleges soon? Who knows? We will begin to see a kind of segregated uh, uh, higher education landscape. This is tantamount to sticking a dagger in our back. The group that has been most successful in accessing diversity yeah. initiatives are white women. Tyrus, did they read the decision? No, of course they didn't read the decision. And again, these are all successful men and women of color who all have educations, who are sitting on top of the mountain calling foul. Like, this is just the par for the course. It is just, what is the narrative? Oh, that's the way we're going with it? But it was nice to see white men get a break. You know what? Because you've had a rough, rough year. They started blaming <laughs> some stuff on white women. So you guys get a little bit of the, little bit of the feel, a little, bit, a little bit of the burn. So uh, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she responded to this ruling on Twitter as well. She says, if the Supreme Court was serious about their ridiculous colorblindness claims, they would have abolished legacy admissions, a.k.a. affirmative action for the privilege. 70% of Harvard's legacy applicants are white. SCOTUS didn't touch that, which would have impacted them and their patrons. Does she have a point there? She used the word ludicrous. That was cool. That was new. <laughs> but again, it's the same argument. No matter what you're doing, that it's it's all white people's fault, mm. and it's just an, and it's a, such a great talking point to the point where it's just literally, if it was if it was a dying horse, would say, please stop hitting it. Yeah, the like, ruling just, does say that race can, can be a factor yeah. along with other things. There's other things that has to do with grades and stuff, and you want to see people given opportunities. And again, this goes back to the Asian American community was being the ones that were not feeling they were being representative because they focus on education. They don't yeah. want to see Sprite commercials on playing in the NBA and the, or being an actor or a singer. They push fundamentals in education. So then they're starting to see more results. And then for them to be stopped based on their color because they don't get to pick it. You want someone to pick and choose the groups. Mm -hmm. That's ridiculous. Somebody has to be able to choose which groups, rather than just making it what the Supreme Court says. There's equal justice, freedom, liberty, and justice for all, and everybody's given the same opportunities, not the same results. There's a big difference there. In the left, they either don't see it, they don't accept it, whatever you want to call it. I had a conversation, a family conversation, early this morning talking about the difference between equality and equity. Do you know the differences? They're, they're, they are different. Here's the difference. When the government declared, before we ever had a government, a federal government, but as it was being created, that everybody would get equal justice under the law and that we're all endowed with inalienable rights, not by our government, but by our creator. And incidentally, those things I just told you aren't from the Constitution. They were from the Declaration of Independence. All that being said, when the Constitution was crafted, it set out the whole process of law. That is the only thing the Supreme Court is supposed to deal with. I will never forget when Justice Neil Gorsuch sat before the Senate Judiciary Committee when the hearings began in which he was being drilled by the left. 
I mean, egregiously, our current vice president, she actually got snarky and was really, really crass with uh, Judge Gorsuch during those hearings. Um, I'll never forget what he told them. They were trying to pick him apart. You know how it works. When a justice nominee comes before the Judiciary Committee, they want that person to tell them what and how they stand on every political issue of the day. And they shouldn't even know that because the court, the Supreme Court, is not to judge based on politics. Their judgments are to be based on the Constitution. I'll never forget what Judge Gorsuch at the time, now Justice Gorsuch, responded to one question. And I'm going to paraphrase what he said. I need to go back and get it and keep it and play it for you every once in a while. But he said, you guys, talking about the members of Congress that were sitting in front of him, you guys could make a lot of this angst that you have about what comes out of the Supreme Court if you would just simply do your jobs and do it well. And you could see the shock on these uh, senators' faces when he said that. But he explained it. He said, you guys, if you would look at the bills that come before you and make them very specific to make sure that they comport with what the Constitution says in every area of these bills that you put together, if you would do that before you pass them and they're signed into law, these controversies that happen when they end up in the Supreme Court, many of them would never get to the Supreme Court because it would all be included. The intentions, the purposes, the background would already be in the laws that you passed and nobody would have to wonder years later when it comes before the courts what your intentions were. That made so much sense to me. It really did. Why is that? Because it would all be right in front of us all in black and white, and nobody would have to issue any finding based upon their opinions of what the lawmakers' intentions were when they made these laws. This controversy just goes on and on and on and on. You heard from Tyrus... You heard from uh, Nicole Wallace. You heard from some of those sycophants from the left. Well, Megyn Kelly, she has a little bit to say about it. I'm going to let you hear from her. And in her little short soundbite, she's also going to bring in the former first lady. Who would that be? Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama is an attorney. I'm not sure if you knew that, but she's an attorney. Um, she was forced to turn in her law license for some alleged wrongdoing many years ago. But nevertheless, African-American and an attorney and a former first lady, she's entitled to her opinions. And uh, we, along with Megan Kelly, will share that with you and much, much more today at TNN Live. So buckle in, folks. we got a long way to go. When you're fed up with the nagging heartburn of today's lies... How do you spell relief? TNN, the Truth News Network. Car's all yours. Thanks. Cars.com's expert reviews made it easy, but... Shouldn't there be more back and forth? You missed the drama, right? Yeah. 
Maybe this will do the trick. Oh, it's a puppy. Not a puppy, a wolf. What now? He's a wolf. And that is its incredibly protective mother. Put the wolf down. You guys good? Yeah, we're good. Yep. Okay. Get the right car without all the drama. Cars.com. All drive, no drama. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. In a world where truth is in short supply, you have an abundance of it right here. TNN, the Truth News Network. Don't get me wrong. Everybody has a legal right. I mean a universal legal right to have their opinion on any and every issue. Now, I don't have the legal right to demand that you accept my opinion about anything. And I can't be made to agree with you just as you can't be made to agree with me. But sometimes, you know, the stuff we think is right, just because we think something's right doesn't make it right. And just because we think something's wrong doesn't make it wrong. It's all based on the individual item. Law, rule, order from a court, it all depends on how those compare to what the Constitution says about each issue. Now, there's another opinion on another issue that came out yesterday from the Supreme Court. We'll get to that in just a minute. But I promised you, I wanted you to listen to Megyn Kelly and also the former First Lady about what came out of the court and what they feel about it. So listen to what Michelle Obama said in response to this opinion today. Of course, students on my campus and countless others across the country were and continue to be granted special consideration for admissions. Some have parents who graduated from the same school. Others have families who can afford coaches to help them run faster and hit a, bit, hit a ball harder. Others go to high schools with lavish resources for tutors and extensive standardized test prep. So often we just accept that money, power, and privilege are perfectly justifiable forms of affirmative action, while kids growing up like I did are expected to compete when the ground is anything but level. You know what, Michelle? Same. Same. And I'm white. I didn't have any of those advantages. I showed up the day of the SAT. I was like, it's the SAT today? Oh, shit. Okay. My friend loaned me a pencil. I never took a review class. We didn't have the money for anything. It's not just a black thing, but she and other progressives, Jason, are going to completely tie the, the, you know, racial inequity and its ongoing nature to this decision. So once again, we're not talking about equality. We're talking about equity. Equity is the difference with equality in that equity is determined by people, not the law, not the Constitution. Equity is something that can be manipulated. And that's why so many on the left are trying to get us to forget about what equality is because that's guaranteed. Equal, equal. It means everything is equal. You don't have to manipulate it to make it equal. It exists in a vacuum, just like facts do. Michelle Obama and what she said, there was a passage there 
that is very important in the Supreme Court verdict that came out yesterday as it pertained, that whole case was about two universities, University of North Carolina and Harvard, and that they, under the affirmative action, they have been putting their fingers on the scales and giving African-American applicants, giving those people a leg up above principally Asian candidates, not based upon their abilities, their backgrounds, their education, their achievements there, based solely on skin color. And Michelle made a very salient point when she said what she said, and that was the court said that admissions could no longer consider special circumstances in the lives of those applicants. She obviously didn't read the opinion, the majority opinion that came from African-American Clarence Thomas, Justice Thomas. In it, he plainly stated the Supreme Court will allow the determination to be made not just on the applicant's credentials, educational credentials, but the schools can continue to use special circumstances of the applicants, including disadvantages that come from their skin color. Nobody's adding that into this conversation yet that I've heard, even though the former first lady included that in her reply, but she was including that to make it look like it's not allowed. You can get that opinion. Google it. Clarence, Justice Clarence Thomas's opinion on the affirmative action ruling that came out of the court. Read it. It's very plainly in there, as it should be. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm going to finish this conversation. We're almost 40 minutes into the show by telling you this. If we allow our nation to become one that operates or functions governmentally by allowing people to determine what the Constitution means and base it on equity, not equality, but equity, we will become quicker than you can imagine nothing more than a third world country. Why is that? Because who would be making all the decisions? The government. And who's in the government? Well, if we have some sort of a Democrat govern, government, which we have uh, in our laws and our operations of our government, we are a democratic process, but we are a representative republic. That's what we were founded to be. And representative means the people. We elect people to go to the House, go to the Senate, and there represent us. In the House of Representatives, you vote for somebody that's running to represent you and every other person that lives in your district with you. If you're electing one of the two senators, U.S. senators in your state, you're just one of the people in your state that that senator is going to represent. But they represent us. 535 members in Congress, they vote 
to represent us. And the executive branch, that's the presidency. Anybody living in the White House is supposed to make sure that all of the laws passed by the people's representatives are implemented and enforced according to the law, not according to the whim of politics by whatever party is in power. These Democrats don't get it. They better be careful because if they're not, they're going to end up living in that kind of process. And listen to me closely, Democrats are not always going to be the political party in power, which would mean if they want us to operate by equity, when they're no longer the biggest bully on the block and they're not the ones that make the final decisions, I promise you they're not going to like (laughs) what comes out of the other side that happens to be in charge. Harvard, home of the most famous law school in the world, they wasted no time today. They came up with a plan overnight to circumvent the Supreme Court's ruling to end the racist practice of allowing affirmative action to determine who gets entry to its hallowed halls at Harvard. The highest court of the land ruled that affirmative action is a means of selecting which students are allowed to attend American's colleges, and it's a violation of the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause. And of course, when that went out, the chaos just erupted everywhere. Yada, 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 yada. Because Harvard's and UNC's admissions programs lack sufficiently focused and measurable objectives warranting the use of race, unavoidably employ race in a negative manner, involve racial stereotyping, and lack meaningful endpoints, those admissions programs cannot be reconciled with the guarantees of the Equal Protection Clause. This is in the opinion. At the same time, nothing prohibits universities from considering an applicant's discussion of how race affected the applicant's life. Did you hear that? Nothing prohibits universities from considering an applicant's discussion of how race affected the applicant's life, so long as that discussion is concretely tied to a quality of character or unique ability that the particular applicant can contribute to the university. So there you go. And I'm going to blow somebody else's mind because as I was telling you that at that very moment, we got a news bulletin, and it's about the Supreme Court. This is from the Wall Street Journal. The Supreme Court throughout the Biden administration's plan to forgive student loans held by 40 million Americans, dealing a blow to a $430 billion program the White House considers a crucial way to cement the president's support among younger Americans. Beyond its financial implications, the case pushed to the fore different views of executive power espoused by the White House and the Supreme Court. President Biden has at times sought to take aggressive actions in response to economic, immigration, and other crises, while Congress remains incapacitated by partisan rancor. This is from the Wall Street Journal. The court, which now has a conservative supermajority skeptical of federal regulatory power, has blocked 
several administration initiatives and espouse new doctrines that limit agency authority to act on new situations that existing legislation didn't specifically anticipate. And then it just goes on and on and explaining. So the the very controversial cancellation of student debt is unconstitutional and it is not going to happen. Oh, I cannot imagine <laughs> how ugly it's going to be all day over the weekend and you're going to get covered up with it in this holiday weekend because it is going to be everywhere. They're going to beat it into the ground. I and let, let me just, I, I will make a prediction. There are going to be some demonstrations. There's going to be violence over this student debt thing in the streets. And I hate to see it happen. But the conundrum in that, I must be honest with you when I say this, I don't see how any legitimate president that swore an oath to serve the people, all the people, all the people, could somehow think he is endowed with the unilateral right to just wave away $430 million of borrowed debt money, and I don't care if it's debt that was created by the smartest person on the planet There are millions of people that did not go to college because they did not or could not come up with the money to pay to go to college. And then there are people that went ahead and borrowed that money that went to college and they hassled for years to pay back that college debt. And then anybody, any president comes in and he just arbitrarily waves away all that debt. How is that equal? How is that equitable? Either one of those words fits that situation. It all goes into this, and I'll hackle some people when I say this. This is one thing that an autocratic government has the power or authority to do. And that scenario doesn't matter what any of the citizens say. Whatever the big boss, the autocrat in power, if it's one person or a couple of dozen, whatever they think, that's the way it's going to be. Forget about whether it's legal, whether it's constitutional. It doesn't matter. All that matters is what the big guys in charge think about it. In that scenario, Joe Biden would have forgiven the debt and all these people would be walking free today and put the whole cost of their education, or even those that dropped out of college, we're going to pay for their debt. How anyone would think that's okay, I'll never figure out. If you're traveling this weekend, I know you've heard about or you probably have already experienced for yourself the horrors of flight cancellations. So with thousands of flights canceled or delayed around the U.S. ahead of the July 4th holiday weekend, This morning, a joke from the Federal Aviation Administration about unruly passengers. It left some of those stranded, (laughs) unruly travelers frustrated. It's disappointing to me to hear that the FAA is tweeting jokes about unruly passengers. Corrine, a girl named Corrine, said about that at the Denver International Airport. I just got a picture a few moments ago, actually a video, one downtown street in Denver, 
the combination of hail and rain, this city street has turned into a river. You can probably find it if you just Google it. Street in Denver that is flooding downtown Denver. They're tweeting while people are losing money, losing wages, Corrine said about what the FAA has put out there. FAA, get your act together, said Debbie. Debbie had to sleep on the floor overnight with her husband as they tried to travel to Iceland. They should be helping us, not making fun of us. I was ticked, she said, about hearing her flight was canceled. Just seems like they could be better organized. There's nothing puzzling about bad behavior on a flight. It doesn't fly and can cost you big money or jail time. The FAA tweeted yesterday afternoon with a picture of a Wheel of Fortune puzzle spelling out unruly passengers. More than 9,000 flights have been canceled since Monday. Another nearly 116,000 are delayed. This is according to Airline Tracker Flight Aware. United Airlines alone made up 500 cancellations at the Denver airport, one of the busiest airlines in the world. And I just told you about hail and flooding in Denver. Weather has 90% or more to do with all of this. I blame the airlines themselves, said Jeanette, who was traveling to New Orleans. I think they are overbooking and not taking time to consider their customers. Jeanette couldn't find any flight, alternative, after her initial one was canceled. She had to abandon her cruise vacation entirely. So, of course, the airlines start pointing fingers. United blamed its cancellations on weather and the FAA staffing constraints. The airline said conditions are improving as they have all hands on deck now to fix this and that it hopes to be on track to restore operations for the holiday weekend. And they, the FAA, flatly denied United's claims. Amy's flight was rescheduled six times and ultimately canceled in the middle of the night, causing her to can her trip to Syracuse for her aunt's memorial. And by the way, her bags were also lost. All my family is there, and we can't get there, she said. Bradley started his travels in Richmond, but he got stuck in Denver on his way to Montana. He said his flight was delayed several hours shortly after boarding at midnight. Passengers were taken off the plane because the pilots were over their flight hours. It's gotten to the point where it's ridiculous, he said. And I've got story after story, and I'm looking at a picture of the Denver uh, Denver airport, the terminal there. Let me just say this. I'm one of those people, I one time, a long time ago, I spent the night in the Denver airport because our flight got canceled. And on that particular flight, Barbara Streisand was on the flight, and she couldn't get in the alternative. She had two or three of her kids with her, and they did what we did. We piled our stuff up, tried to make a makeshift blanket and pillow, and slept through the night, waited for our flight the next morning. It was snowing desperately, and nobody could even get out of the terminal to go get a hotel room. Sometimes you just can't fix what is out there, and it doesn't go the way that you like. You know what? I guess... uh, We don't always get everything we want, and we certainly don't always get everything we like. And uh, you just got to find a way to deal with it. No matter what it is, find a way to deal with it. And you might just try this for a second. Ladies, 
We ask your forgiveness. Please forgive our immaturity, our outbursts of tacky compliments. Forgive our browser history. Forgive our hormones taking control of us. Forgive us for thinking an open shirt is the ultimate weapon of appeal. Forgive us for opening our beers like primates. Forgive for taking a no as a yes. For insisting on playing a guitar that doesn't exist. And please, forgive us for never washing our hands. Ever! Schneider, the beer with the exact maturity of the man who's in the process. What do you want a da da da? I don't know. What do y'all think we should da da da? Well, what did we da yesterday? Hmm, yesterday. All the dolls feel like the same doll these days. I know. Like is today Monday or Tuesday? Today is Thursday. <gasps> oh no! I forgot to call my mom on her birthday. Oh no! No! These days, nothing is normal and everything is weird. But you could still save big when you switch to Progressive. That won't change. Not to da or any da. Quote to da at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. So you guys grew up together? Yeah, since third grade. What are you looking at? I wasn't mean, not looking at it. We're not good enough for you. You look for something else? No, I, just, I don't know. What are you, big supermodels? Oh, Jesus. Supermodels. What are you modeling? Gloves? What are you doing? A girl's totally into me. Brad, eat a Snickers. Why? Because you get a little angry when you're hungry. Better? Better. So, ladies. So, losers. Stacy, relax. I'm sorry. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. Separating fact from fiction. Arming you with the ammunition of liberty. The truth on TNN. Truthnewsnet.org. You know, the one thing that's scaring a lot of people in today's life, it's just about the everyday regular stuff that we're all dealing with. And we have no real way of understanding what it is or what we possibly can do. And so we're forced just to find ways to make things work. And a lot of that has to do with lawlessness that's happening in nation in our nation and streets and cities around us since the coldest winter weather ended in Chicago this year since that happened I guess that's opened up the door for groups of hundreds of teens there to carouse through Chicago neighborhoods vandalizing cars in many cases stealing from businesses and even physically assaulting people on the streets The most recent gathering of hundreds of marauding teens and young adults occurred Monday evening this week in the Lakeview neighborhood, an area that's just north of downtown. I know right where it is. The mob of violent teens, they used the Chicago L train at the Belmont Red Line to gather in the Lakeview neighborhood, swarming out of the station in numbers big enough to shut down traffic adjacent to the station. They immediately began jumping up and down on cars and trucks, damaging rooftops and hoods, and even breaking windshields before they fanned out to enter local businesses. One woman who called the cops as the teens started their campaign of terror was told by the police department, we can't help. I was told, she said, there was nothing they could do. 
They were so overwhelmed at the moment that there was just way too much and too many calls coming in. Grace Rowan, a a Lakeview area resident, said it's terrifying. It's been very chaotic, and as somebody who's lived in Lakeview for the past three years, it's scary to see how things have changed over time. Resident Dominique Resigno said she was even told by officers she wasn't allowed to go try to move her car, which she later was found vandalized. I looked down. There was just a mob of people, a bunch of cops standing around watching. And I went to one of them and said, my car was in there. And he said, you're not getting it tonight. There's just story after story after story. Nobody's talking about that. That's just kind of like, oh, oh, that's just too... um, That's just one of those things. You're just going to have to find a way to deal with it. There's something nobody's talking about, and this especially in light of what happened just a few minutes ago. Supreme Court ruled the debt forgiveness, college debt forgiveness plan of this president, ruled it unconstitutional. What about those federal student loan repayments that this president on two different occasions has postponed? Well, we were told before this came out this morning that the Education Department is preparing to restart federal student loan debt repayments after a three-year pause now that the COVID-19 pandemic emergency is over. So guess what? (laughs) They're going to have to start it now. We are going to hear crying, wailing, and gnashing of teeth over all of this. You can book it. Well, you know what's been lost in all of this waiting for the Supreme Court to come out at the end of their term, this particular term with the renderings and the verdicts and the findings and the opinions on these various things. It's kind of been hush-hush over the Hunter Biden and the Joe Biden stuff, hasn't it? Well, it's not because stuff's not going on behind the scenes. Senators Chuck Grassley and Ron Johnson, they raised some new questions about an FBI briefing that happened back in 2020. Mm. Wow. We got to go back to there to get something. There's plenty here to go along, isn't there? Well, they say the senator's investigation of Hunter Biden was advancing Russian disinformation. They being the FBI in that briefing, they said the senator's investigation into Hunter Biden was advancing Russian disinformation. The investigation itself, at the time the FBI was looking into some of the same allegations. The more we learn about what the FBI was up to in the summer of 2020, the more questions we have about what was done with information that was related to the Hunter Biden investigation. This is Chuck Grassley, Republican senator from Iowa. He called the briefing totally unnecessary and said it was a clear effort to discredit our oversight. Was there a broader effort by federal law enforcement to improperly silence or improperly sideline anything critical of the Biden family in the run-up to the 2020 election, Grassley asked. This timeline that is emerging does not paint a picture of an apolitical FBI, and the Bureau has a duty to explain itself, which it has so far failed to do. You think? (laughs) They certainly aren't going to give us facts or the FBI because the facts make them look bad, and we all know that. 
These two senators opened an investigation into Hunter's finances. Specifically, they wanted to look at his role on the board of Ukrainian natural gas firm Burisma Holdings. At the time of that FBI briefing back in 2020, the senators were finalizing their report that would be released that September. On August 6th, this is back in 2020, the FBI gave a briefing to Grassley and Johnson on behalf of the FBI and intelligence community, a briefing the senators have repeatedly said was given because of pressure from Democrats to falsely attack their investigation, not the facts, but they're investigating any of this at all. These two senators say that in August that year, FBI officials, they started a scheme to downplay derogatory information on Hunter for the purpose of shutting down investigative activity relating to his potential criminal exposure by calling it disinformation. That shouldn't shock any of us. That's what they have done about every truth you can think of that gets to the media that comes from any conservative. Oh, that's disinformation. That's almost like being in a crowd and being 10 feet away in a crowd. Your buddy Bill's over there, and you know that there are a bunch of people in the crowd that know Bill and know you, and you holler across at Bill and say, Hey, Bill, when did you stop beating your wife? Well, there's nothing Bill can say that's going to exonerate him to the people that heard you shout that allegation. So almost everybody there thinks, hey, Bill used to beat his wife. That's what the same impact of using that term, disinformation, does to those that hear it. The senators also noted the whistleblowers have alleged that local FBI leadership instructed employees not to look at the Hunter Biden laptop immediately after the FBI got it. Now, why would they do that? They didn't want it to get out there. They wanted it to protect Joe Biden. But that briefing took place just as the DOJ's federal investigation into Hunter was well underway. Then by December of 2019, the FBI had obtained the laptop belonging to Hunter already. They knew material on the laptop wasn't fake, wasn't disinformation, and that it contained reliable evidence. This is just another one of those things. I am sick and tired of pointing out the wrongdoing and the wrongdoers in the FBI and other divisions of the Department of Justice. You know what's going to make me decide, I mean, the total determinant of who I'm going to vote for in the 2024 election? You know the candidate I'm going to vote for? I bet you there are a bunch of you out there that won't hear me say, who are you going to vote for, Dan? Are you going to tell us now who you're going to vote for? Yeah, I'm going to tell you right now. It's whoever makes the commitment, and I can trust the commitment they make is real. What commitment, Dan? to totally obliterate management at the entire Department of Justice, especially in the FBI, and find replacements that will be totally committed to the rule of law and totally against making any decisions based upon politics. That's who I'm going to vote for. 
Let me give you another conundrum that just leaked out a few minutes ago. That whistleblower, Agent Gary Shapley Shapley, he says local businessmen or their neighbor next door would have been charged differently than the deal that Hunter Biden got. And that's not all he said. Listen to this. Agents, FBI agents, secured evidence that Hunter engaged in a pretty classic tax evasion scheme that allowed him to avoid paying taxes on millions of dollars in income since at least 2014. And this deal, this plea deal that he ultimately got wouldn't have been afforded to any other American facing such serious charges. If these facts were from the local businessman on the neighbor next door, they would have been charged. They would have already probably had their entire sentence. That's Gary Shapley, he said during a 45-minute interview. Shapley and another IRS whistleblower whose name has not been released rocked D.C. earlier this month when they told the House Ways and Means Committee that DOJ engaged in significant political interference in Hunter Biden's tax cases, not just one, not just two, but a bunch of tax cases that thwarted agents from getting search warrants, interviewing witnesses, and ultimately bringing the serious felony charges that career prosecutors believe were warranted against Joe Biden's son and even possibly Joe Biden himself. Shapley, by the way, is a 14-year veteran of the IRS. And it's not just Shapley. You heard yesterday, we played an interview with the former head of the IRS department that determines this kind of stuff. And she said, point blank, she had never seen anything like this. It never had happened to her knowledge ever in IRS history. And there's no way it can be reconciled. And she said, it's likely that the judge that is supposed to weigh in on this whole thing at the end of July it is very possible and maybe even likely he'll throw the whole deal out. Shapley said, quote, I'm pro-IRS, I'm pro-mission, I'm pro-agency. I've been a senior leader at this agency. I have a lot of great friends in senior leadership, and I believe in what we're doing. But I believe in what we're doing when we're treating people fairly. And you know, it just didn't happen this time. Shapley and his lawyer, along with Jason Foster of the Empower Oversight Whistleblower Center, and Mark Lytle said in an interview that IRS and FBI agents uncovered evidence that Hunter failed to declare more than $8 million in income, and he didn't pay $2.2 million in taxes. Shapley said the team of IRS agents had supervised and found evidence that the evasion included that Hunter Biden did not declare $400,000 in income from Burisma Holdings in 2014. If you're specifically talking about Burisma for 2014, there was conservatively $400,000 in unreported income on his income tax returns. And you know that was around 12000 to 125000 in tax withholdings as a result of that failure to report that income. Now, what does this mean? He says Hunter hadn't paid any of that. 
And if you're a regular on the show, I asked that question. I've asked it several times. We haven't heard anything about, oh, Hunter, he didn't pay $2.2 million on $8 million in income. Has he paid the two point two? Has he paid part of it? When did he pay part of it? Why hasn't he paid all of it? And how could he get a deal, this deal at all, if he hadn't paid his legally due income taxes? Do you think you would get any special treatment? <laughs> there is no way that was going to happen. If we did something like that, you and I, we would literally be up the river already. We'd have gone to jail. Not Hunter. Ah, oh, he's already cut a deal. He's going to be okay. Well, we've still got a lot to cover. And believe it or not, the Supreme Court's got more stuff that's coming out today. Maybe some more will come out while we're on the air. We'll take a look during this break and be back with you in three minutes. The new Amazon Echo has everyone asking Alexa for help. Alexa, what time is it? What the hell is wrong with this blasted thing? Amanda! But the latest technology isn't always easy to use for people of a certain age. These kids have bought me a busted machine again. That's why Amazon partnered with AARP to present the new Amazon Echo Silver, the only smart speaker device designed specifically to be used by the greatest generation. It's super loud and responds to any name even remotely close to Alexa, so they can find out the weather. Allegra, what is the weather outside? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Huh? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Where? Outside. What about it? The temperature outside is 74 degrees and sunny. I don't know about that. The latest in sports. Clarissa, how many did old Satchel strike out last night? Satchel Paige died in 1982. How many he get? Satchel Paige is dead. He what now? Died. Who did? Satchel Paige. Oh. I don't know about that. Even local news and pop culture. Anita, what them boys up to across the street? They are just playing. They what now? They are just playing. You say they just playing now? Yes, they are just playing. I don't know about that. Here are the smart devices like your thermostat. Alessandra, turn the heat up. The room is already 100 degrees. Are you trying to kill me, Alize? The new Amazon Echo Silver plays all the music they loved when they were young. Angela, play black jazz. Playing, uh... Jazz. It also has a quick scan feature to help them find things. Emilia, where did I put the phone? The phone is in your right hand. And it has an uh-huh feature for long rambling stories. So then I gave him five dollars, and he said I only gave him one dollar. Uh-huh. I said, I know I gave you a five. Uh-huh. Because I only had a five and a one only. Uh-huh. And this is the one dollar right here. Uh-huh. So, I mean, you tell me who's crazy. Amazon Echo Silver. Get yours today. I said get yours today. To order Amazon Echo Silver, send a check or money order to Amazon.com right now. Well, 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 sure enough. Supreme Court has struck one more time, and I say struck, I uh, 
I don't mean that literally, but they came out with another court finding. Let me pull this up and I'll give you all the skinny. Um, The Supreme Court ruled again, 6-3, but this time in favor of a Christian website designer who said Colorado's law requiring her to create websites to celebrate same-sex weddings infringed on her constitutional rights. Now, wait a minute. Let me just put this in the context of what we started the show with today. The Supreme Court ruling yesterday that the affirmative action bill, law, it's not a law, it was a rule that was put out by a president, sitting president, that created affirmative action, which basically says it's illegal to give anybody an opportunity based solely on race. And, of course, the left have gone crazy because the Supreme Court ruled that Harvard and the University of North Carolina could not do just that. They had to stop picking people that could go to those universities based upon, solely based upon, their skin color. And that was a definite infringement, again, the rights of Asian students that it was proven these Asian students were being pushed to the back of the line so that African-Americans could step to the front of the line in their place. So the Supreme Court rules 6-3 in favor of that website designer that said she refused to produce wedding cakes for same-sex weddings. And the reason they said it was unconstitutional to make her do that was it infringed on her constitutional rights. In this case, Justice Neil Gorsuch wrote the majority opinion. Three liberal justices, of course, they dissented. Left-wing activists have been targeting bakers across the nation for years now for political purposes, asking Christian confectioners opposed to same-sex marriage to bake wedding cakes for gay marriage celebrations. When the bakers say, nope, we're not going to do it, we're not going to make those cakes, these activists sue under anti-discrimination laws, hoping to get favorable legal precedents. Here's one. In Masterpiece Cake Shop v. Colorado Civil Rights Commission, this is back in 2018, the Supreme Court sided with Jack Phillips, a Christian baker whom a gay couple asked to create a custom cake to celebrate their union, finding a state human rights commission had violated his, the baker's, First Amendment right to free exercise of religion. But in the case at hand, artist and website designer named Lori Smith of 303 Creative complained she was being singled out by the same Colorado Human Rights Commission because, based on her religious faith, she does not support non-traditional marriage. Smith has said she will design custom websites for anybody including those who identify as LGBT, so long as their message does not conflict with her religious views. This means she won't promote messages that condone violence or encourage sexual immorality, abortion, or same-sex marriage. When clients want such messages expressed, she refers them to other website designers. She took action when she discovered she was forbidden under the Colorado Anti-Discrimination Act to post a statement online explaining what content she was and was not willing to create. Now, here's what Gorsuch said. Listen closely. 
Quote, like many states, Colorado has a forbidding, a law forbidding businesses from engaging in discrimination when they sell goods and services to the public. Laws along these lines have done much to secure the civil rights of all Americans. But in this particular case, Justice Gorsuch said, Colorado does not just seek to ensure the sale of goods or services on equal terms. It seeks to use its law to compel an individual to create speech she does not believe. The question we face is whether that course violates the free speech clause of the First Amendment. In this case, Colorado seeks to force an individual to speak in ways that align with its views but defy her conscience about a matter of major significance, Gorsuch wrote. The First Amendment envisions the U.S. as a rich and complex place where all persons are free to think and are free to speak as they wish, not as the government demands. Wow, you know what? That just, that just makes sense to me. And oh my gosh, we can't make sense. We got to deal everything and do everything based upon one's interpretation of what racist is, racism and what racism is, and also what's free speech and what's not free speech. When both of those things, they exist by themselves. They are explainable and they're very obvious. Yet, we've got some more craziness going on. A very prominent academic leader argued yesterday that white people's lifespans give them an unfair advantage in collecting Social Security. Now, let me, let me repeat that. This guy's a, prom- a prominent academic leader. He said that white people's lifespans give them an unfair advantage in collecting Social Security. Thomas Leviste, the dean of Tulane University School of Public Health and Tropical Medicine, made the comments at Washington Post Live's health equity event. He was interviewed by Porst reporter Akila Johnson, whose beat is exploring the effect of racism and social inequality on health. Levice explained that Social Security is the perfect example to demonstrate how structural inequity manifests in American society. In other words, black people don't live as long, and that is a demographic fact. Lifespan is not quite as long as those of white people. So that means these black people are going to die and they won't get the benefits long-term of the same dollars in Social Security as well these white people that live a little bit longer. He didn't come out and say that Social Security itself is racist, but the dean claimed it's impacted by structural, here's the term, structural inequity. Inequity. I'm going to quote the dean here. So, We have a policy. We have Social Security program established back in 1935. This program was established to help address poverty 
that many people after retirement were not able to, to basically live. Levice then suggested that if all other factors are hypothetically the same, white people in America will benefit more from Social Security because they tend to live longer than black people. The program was developed, but if you look at the differences in life expectancy, if you say you have a black worker, a white worker, they begin working at the same day at the same job for the same company, they make the same salary, which might not always be the case, but in this example, they make the same salary. They paid the exact same amount of money into the Social Security system, and they both retire on the same day. Because the white people, he said, on average, the white person is going to live longer than the black person. There's going to be a difference in how much they're going to get out of that system that they paid into, Levice continued. Now, he specified he wasn't calling Social Security a racist program, per se, but that it does not have equal outcomes in its current form. I'm not saying that Social Security is inherently racist, but I'm saying that it has an inequitable outcome because of these health inequities, and this is just a good way to demonstrate how that operates, he said. And he went on to repeat his allegation that this is a great way to illustrate how structural inequities work because it doesn't require any individual to have racist beliefs or attitudes or values. It just simply is the way the system operates. And if we don't intervene, it'll continue to function this way. And of course, what's missing in this story? He didn't give us away a method, even a suggestion on how to fix what he claims is inequitable. Not unequal, because he can't say that, but he can call it inequitable. But there is no guarantee in law anywhere about equity. It's equality, equal opportunity, not equal achievements. Do you understand there's a really big difference? I don't get it. People just don't want to accept that. There's a vast difference between equality and equity. And the opposite is the same way. There's a vast difference. Nobody can fairly argue that is not the case. But there are no exact outcomes in any way guaranteed anybody about anything. I'll just give you an example. My wife and I, we're both Social Security age, but the dollar benefits for me are more than for my wife because through my working career of 50 plus years, I paid more into that system than did my wife. A big portion of her time, she worked, but another big portion, she stayed at home and took care of our kids, and therefore she didn't continue to pay in that system. Now, how do you come up with a way to fix that? And you know what? The people that are proponents of that idea, that philosophy, 
They don't want to go into the specifics because you can't do it. You can't come up with a way that is constitutional to change it and guarantee that everybody gets the exact same dollar amount because all of the circumstances of life, of work life, are different for different people. But again, remember, he made a point of saying the Social Security system, I'm not saying it is racist, but it is inequitable. That's what the left are demanding that we change our conversation when it comes to comparing people's lives, that equality of opportunity is not what the Constitution and our forefathers meant. Equity was what they meant. That would give somebody the right to punish me, to give to you, to take from me, to give to you something that I earned, but you didn't earn. The only reason, the only reason he said, this dean said, that a white person makes more in Social Security than does a black person is because of the difference in life expectancy. How do you fix that? (laughs) If you would even agree that it needs to be fixed, how do you fix that? Do you exterminate? You come up with the life expectancy of an African American compared to a white American, and you cut short the lives of the white person to make it equitable? I just don't understand it. I do not understand. And listen, there is no, let's all get together coming out of this White House. There's none of that. There's none of this, I want to be president of all the people, not president of Democrats, not president of Republicans. I want to bring everybody together. There's no unity call whatsoever. You heard Joe Biden at the top of the show explain what's wrong with our Supreme Court. And it has to do with not the law, not the interpretation of what the Supreme Court is supposed to do, find in the U.S. Constitution the applicable section or provision on every issue that comes before them and see if it aligns with what the Constitution says. According to Joe Biden, that's not what matters. What's important is that it comports with the majority of the people politically at the time. Obviously, that would be the stupidest thing any group of individuals could do when they crafted a structure of laws when they came over from Europe and established this nation. That's what they got away from. That's what was going on and why they left Western Europe to come here. There were kings and monarchs that were ruling everything. And those people didn't give a rip about what the people thought or said. They just did whatever they wanted to do. And everybody had to comport with that or you'd be prosecuted, thrown in prison, sometimes even killed. Wow. What else do we have to talk about today? Oh, my gosh. Just when you think you got it bad. 
there are some other people that have it worse. Can you imagine a scenario where you went to the bank? Let's just say you go to the bank and you want to withdraw some money out of your account. And when you get there, there's nothing there. The money that you put in, it's not there. And you can't find it. But you know it was there because you have proof you deposited it. You know who Nigel Farage is? He's the guy that led the Brexit movement. He was really big politically. You've heard him before on this show. He's, he even appears often on Fox News and Newsmax and One America News. His bank account has been locked by the government. Late last night, actually in the morning hours here, Sky News did a report on this. Listen closely. You work with Nigel. He must be feeling terribly about this. Uh, I think he said there in, in that report that he's gone to seven other banks and he can't open an account at any of them. And this seems astonishing that this could happen in a free country. Yeah, and they trap you in this vortex of bureaucracy and process. So they say to him, well, look, we, you can submit a subject access request. Well, that takes around 100 or so days. Bearing in mind that he's already just been trying to fight this through the conventional methods for a couple of months, he will have run out of time by the time that he gets all the necessary information from the banks about all the conversations they've had about him behind the scenes, which will expose the true reasons behind all of this. But that will be too late for Nigel. Mm -hmm. And what this really means is if you don't have a bank account, as everybody knows, I mean, you can't really function, especially with this push towards a cashless society. If Nigel wanted to go and get another mortgage somewhere or just wanted to do anything, frankly, then he wouldn't really be able to do it. They were trying to make him a non-person. But I really do think there is more to this than meets the eye. I think they don't want him to just become a non-person. What they really want is for Nigel Farage to leave the country and have to go and try and set up in America or Australia or somewhere else. They just want him out of Britain. And if this is happening to Nigel, okay, who's got a platform and is a very good speaker and who can come out and create some kind of snowball effect behind this, that's one thing. But this could happen to the little guy. This could happen to anybody, and it is wrong. And I wonder whether it has anything to do with Nigel uh, talking about perhaps starting another political party with the Tories becoming, uh, oh, well, the, the versions of Labor with their climate alarmism and net zero madness. Uh, he's talked about having a genuine conservative alternative at the coming election, and then this happens. This happens. What is this that happened? The federal government stepped in. They locked up the account of a dissident. In other words, you don't agree with us, we don't agree with you, but guess what, buddy? We have the power to control anything and everything you want to buy, you need to spend money for, or you want to go to, like, uh, let's just say, a movie. And let me put this in perspective for you. Joe Biden has already done an executive order to create what he calls a United States digital currency. Kind of like Bitcoin. I know a lot about Bitcoin. I'm good friends in, with, and you've heard him on this show at least four or five times. I'm talking about Dunstan Teo, the largest holder of Bitcoin in the world. He was one of the establishers. There were five 
people that were involved in establishing Bitcoin, the first four, their names are anonymous, and they brought Dunstan in to be the spokesperson. Two of those four have been murdered, (laughs) and you can understand probably why. But in the context of Joe Biden's proposed United States digital currency, they make that sound like, boy, that would be so clean and easy to do. You wouldn't have to worry about dollar bills, fives, twenties, hundreds. You didn't have to carry anything around with you. You just got your your debit card on your digital currency account, and you can do everything over the phone just like you do now or when you go in a grocery store. You get to the cash register. You've got it there. Don't have to worry about cash anymore. They They make it convenient for us, right? Let me tell you what it's all about. It has nothing to do with making it easy. They want to be able to continue, but even on a greater scale, mint money themselves, they being the federal government. They can create all of this and push it out, and you can't say anything about it because we don't see it happening. They're not crafting bonds, printing bonds, and having auctions and selling U.S. Treasury bonds. They don't have to do that anymore. They just go down in the computer in the basement. Hey, we need to create some more digital dollars. Create them and stick them in this account. That's one thing that it would impact. But the most important thing is, you know, there's a bunch of great Christian movies that are out right now. And let's just say you and the wife want to, I don't know, Saturday night. That's tomorrow night. It's a holiday weekend. Maybe you want to wait till Monday. You're off Monday. So on that date, you want to do a special thing. So you go to dinner, but you want to buy your tickets early to the show, this great Christian movie. And so you go online and you go through the process. You pick your seats and then you go to pay for it with your digital currency number. But guess what? It's rejected. Your attempted purchase is rejected. Now, maybe that's not the same thing as Nigel Farage's account, Farage, his account being locked up by the government in the UK. It may not be the same, but it's the principle that operates the same way. The government has unilateral authority to do just that. We live in scary times. And I warn you, don't just think because something seems like this is the United States of America. They can't do that to me. They can do it to you, whatever it is. They can do it to you. And as long as they're not being held accountable, they individually are not being held accountable for these things, not only can they do these things, they will continue to do these things and they'll get more and more vile. This is the exact same landscape of the creation of a banana republic in South America or the Caribbean or anywhere where the rule of law doesn't matter anymore. It's just what the political pundits at the top think is okay. Just do it our way and everybody's going to be okay. That's coming. That's coming. I'm going to tell you that's coming. And there are many who are Christian ministers out there that have been for years declaring government currency created digitally. 
is really the mark of the beast. Read the book of Revelation to find out what the mark of the beast is all about. You don't have to be a Christian to read the Bible. Just saying. You can learn some stuff. You can get some good information. What else is going on today? Well, as all of this Hunter and Joe Biden stuff continues to roil around, I bet you those folks are looking forward to a quiet, peaceful holiday weekend. There's not going to be any real major political stuff coming out, they hope, over the weekend. But they're going to be away, I'm sure, going to their various places of uh, residence. And so there's a lot of news still that's coming out regarding President Biden and Hunter Biden. The president is reportedly consumed, we are told by anonymous people from the White House. He's consumed with Hunter's scandals. And he allegedly angrily dismisses White House aides who believe that Hunter's controversial history might politically hurt his dad. One anonymous source says it's consumed him. So according to a report, the president resents any suggestion of a degree of separation between the two. One, a lifelong politician, the other a Yale law-trained lobbyist with a history of earning money in sectors in which he has little or no experience. In recent days, White House aides have tried to speak with Joe about the continual drip drop of damning evidence that's streaming from Hunter's foreign business transactions. But NBC News sources report Joe Biden, President Biden's response was outright angry towards anybody who would challenge him on the Hunter Biden subject. Joe reportedly told one of his aides, hands off my family. This disagreement between the president and his aides about the optics apparently is and has been an ongoing issue. Those close to Biden have given up trying even in the most gingerly of ways to explain to him the potential political fallout. This is according to NBC News. So despite the reported warnings from White House aides, Biden invited Hunter to a recent state dinner with Attorney General Merrick Garland whose DOJ maintains an ongoing investigation into Hunter. Although Hunter struck a plea deal with prosecutors, that case remains an open question. It's in the hands of a judge who has the power and the authority and might just cancel the deal. Mr. Garland was not at the same table, and he stayed resolutely on the other side of the pavilion, at least while reporters and photographers were there to watch. That's according to a report coming from the New York Times. Representatives for the White House and the DOJ would not say whether the president's staff gave the attorney general a heads up. But you can bet they did. President Biden's decision to allow Hunter to mingle with Garland, it comes as the attorney general is under pressure from House Republicans for allegedly politically interfering in Hunter Biden's tax probe. Support mounted among House Judiciary Committee Republicans this week to impeach Garland after House Speaker Kevin McCarthy threatened impeachment if IRS whistleblower allegations turn out to be true. And those allegations say 
that the Attorney General was up to his eyeballs in all of this. Those whistleblowers told Congress last week that the DOJ two times prevented U.S. Attorney David Weiss from bringing stronger charges in two separate locations against Hunter. Moreover, the whistleblowers alleged Garland rejected a request to appoint a special counsel in the probe to place a degree of separation between the DOJ and President Biden. The Attorney General, he denies all of this flatly. And he says the DOJ did not interfere in the investigation. He says the prosecutor had full authority to charge Hunter, even though Garland admitted to Congress in March he was the authority to authorize any potential charges against Hunter Biden, including in any separate jurisdiction. It just blows my mind we have so much corruption at the top, and it shouldn't. But here's what it makes me ask about this whole thing. How much of this has been going on behind the scenes through past administrations? I can make an assumption here. Some of you will believe this and agree with me. Some of you might not. But I doubt any of this kind of stuff or very little of it was happening during the Trump administration. And here's why. You don't think that the mainstream media would have been all over it? I mean, every time Donald Trump sneezed, they declared that he had COVID-19 and was going to die. They looked for everything and everything they could find, every little glimmer of hope of the elimination of the orange man. They would go bonkers to do it. But none of this, none of this appeared. And the only reason anybody credibly can say it didn't show up was because it wasn't there. Meanwhile, those on the left, they're just pushing and leading us like never before into the great honesty and the truth and the big things for our future. Like up in Michigan, the Michigan House of Representatives passed a bill that makes using wrong pronouns when you address somebody or talk about them, if you use the wrong pronoun, you are finable for doing so. And the fine is all the way up to $10,000. This law would make it a felony to intimidate somebody by using the wrong gender pronoun. It's passed... Bill is HB 4474, piece of legislation that criminalizes causing someone to feel threatened by words. So under the new bill, offenders are guilty of a felony punishable by jail time for not more than five years or by a fine of not more than $10,000. Intimidate, the word intimidate in the law, means a willful course of conduct involving repeated or continuing harassment of another individual that would cause a reasonable individual to feel terrorized, frightened, or threatened, and that actually causes the victim to feel terrorized, frightened, or threatened. The bill addresses sexual orientation and gender identity or expression as protected classes. 
So what does this mean? According to the bill, gender identity or expressions means having or being perceived as having a gender-related self-identity or expression, whether or not associated with an individual's assigned sex at birth. Critics are accusing the bill of violating the First Amendment by compelling speech and outlawing basic expression of traditional scientific view of sex and gender. Now, what's your opinion? It it definitely would violate the First Amendment because anybody has the right to say anything to anyone else, even if it's offensive. Michigan lawmakers gave final approval to legislation banning conversion therapy for minors as Democrats in the state continue to advance a pro-LGBTQ plus agenda in their first month in power. The legislation would prohibit mental health professionals from trying to convert youths who are LGBTQ plus to heterosexuality and traditional gender expectations. So what, how do you handle this? How do you handle this? What do you call somebody that has been trying or wants to convert and they haven't converted yet, or maybe they have and you don't know about it, and you misgender them? Oh, my gosh, you could go to jail for doing that. But then again, if you can't get that straight, you're not worthy of breathing the same air. It's not equitable. (laughs) And equity is the big thing, the only big thing that counts. Oh my gosh, this is getting harder and harder and harder to deal with, and it's because it's getting harder and harder to understand. Honestly, I don't have a clue. I don't understand all of the ins and outs, and I don't mean that jokingly, of gender identity and changing, doing transgender surgery, uh, the blockers, hormone block. I just don't understand that. I know it's a medical, scientific issue. But it boils down to one thing and one thing only. Gender, sexual, is not based upon identity chosen or pursued labeling of identity. It comes from one thing and one thing only. And this is what the science says. And Dr. Fauci made it very clear. We got to follow the science. And the science says gender is confirmed by your chromosomes unless and until you can change your chromosomes. You cannot change your sex. Welcome to Staples. Staples guy, my company has like seven different printers. How's your ink selection? Behold, Staples Wall of Ink. Just wow. A huge selection of ink and toner guaranteed in stock. Hello, awesome. If it's not, we take $10 off and ship it to you free. Pinch me. I said pinch. I heard you. New low prices on ink and toner and an in-stock guarantee. Staples, make more happen. Computer, execute 12.4p operation. Optimizing algorithm. Running encryption packet alpha. Night, night. Oh, I don't feel so good. What? What is it, computer? Is it hot in here? It feels hot in here? I feel a little clammy. I should lie down or something. A computer with a virus? Surprising. What's not surprising? 
how much you could save by switching to Geico. Those oysters Rockefeller were a mistake. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Beat Yourself Up Hotline. Is this the Beat Yourself Up Hotline? Yes, sir. If you'd like to beat yourself up, this is the place to do it. Okay, I'd like to beat myself up now, please. Go right ahead when you're comfortable. I am so stupid. I can't believe how stupid I am. What an idiot. I left all my holiday shipping until the last minute again. Now it's a huge hassle. Why do I have to do this to myself every year? When, oh, when will I learn? You beat yourself up very well, sir. Thanks. But maybe you should just log on to SmartShip.com. SmartShip.com? Right. Type in your zip code and SmartShip.com tells you the fastest, easiest, most affordable way to do your holiday shipping, even at the last minute. Wow. SmartShip.com? Mm-hmm. Why didn't I think of that? Well... Why do I have to have somebody else tell me what to do? Oh, sir... When, oh, when will I ever have an original thought? You're really good at this, sir. I've been told it's a gift. SmartShip.com. The way smart shipping is done. into summer. Those were my favorite times. I love the summer. Now, in South Louisiana, it was always hot and sticky. You know how that is. That didn't stop us from going outside and playing, especially with our friends in our neighborhood. We were blessed. We had a pretty good-sized neighborhood, probably um, 100, 150 homes, and it was kind of closed in, and there were probably 200 kids that were of similar age ages and they would make groups and we would play together. We didn't have street lights back then. So we had to have a watch or somebody would run in and look at the clock, keeping up with the time we had to be in and at home. But one thing I learned to do when I was young in the summer, the bookmobile would come around on Tuesday and every Tuesday I could go on the bookmobile and I could check out four books Every Tuesday, I checked out four books. Now, they weren't big novels, but there were some There were some books that I read when I was in middle school, even before middle school, that were pretty important pieces. I didn't understand it at the time, but I learned a lot about it. But I looked every year to the spring. You know, after Louisiana, we didn't really have a winter. We still don't, but it gets cold and wet. And when that time was over, usually sometime in April, maybe early May, sometimes late March even, when it began to kind of calm down and summer was coming, boy, I really look forward to it. And I still look forward to summer, and it really doesn't change things when you get old. Life changes until you get old, and then it's pretty, pretty stable as you rock along in your 60s and 70s and beyond. But I still like the summer. And one of the reasons I like it is for decades, we did a family vacation and it typically went to the beach. Redneck Riviera was our number one choice. That was Fort Walton Beach, Florida, Destin, Florida, Gulf Shores, Alabama, which is right there just around the corner from uh, Destin. 
And the reason I liked it was because of the beautiful crystal clear water and that bleached white sand. You can't go anywhere on earth that I know of and get that same kind of sand. It was really incredible. And we're in one of those spots now. We came to the East Coast for our family vacation this year. And even though we don't have that same bleached sand and that crystal clear water, I do this show and I'm looking out the window at the beach. It's about maybe 100 yards in front of me. And I see those waves just coming in quietly, rolling over the top of the sand. And it just reminds me of summertime as a kid and growing up. I think every family, no matter how difficult it is, find a time. And usually the beginning of summertime is a good time to do it. But find a time to do something special with your family. And I want to finish the show today. I want to tell you about something. I want to warn you about something. For nearly nine out of the ten companies that are listed on the S&P 500 Stock Exchange, their largest single shareholder of nine of these big companies is one of the big three investment firms. Remember these company names, BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street. These three together manage more money than do most small countries. These firms have an invisible foothold in virtually every sector of American society. But how do these paragons of capitalism turn into a Marxist Trojan horse, which is what they are? Two trends came up in the aftermath of the 2008 financial crisis. Remember that? The stock market crashed. These two trends, one was a new type of investment that concentrated capital among just a small number of firms. The other was left-wing activism in the style of Occupy Wall Street. Combine these trends, helped empower three companies to push much of the corporate wokeness that is so common today. Don't diminish it. It is real. The financial meltdown precipitated a transition from active to passive investment. Active investment is what you typically think of as investing, making risky stock buys in an attempt to beat the market in the short term, things like that. Passive investment requires much less effort. According to Investopedia, It's a long-term strategy where investors try to replicate market performance by constructing well-diversified portfolios like mutual funds, typically based on a representative benchmark like the S&P 500. In other words, it bets on the market rather than betting against it. One study found that between 2008 and 2015, active funds lost $800 billion dollars while passive funds gained over $1 trillion in new investment. Not profit, but in new investment. As of 2019, more money is now invested in passive than in active funds. Now, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to educate you to understand that your dollars and cents, all of it you have and all of it you want to keep, you just need to be careful where your money goes in your passive investments, and who are the companies 
that the funds you're investing in are having your money deposited in. Because these companies, BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard, they're more about politics than they are about protecting your money and making it grow. Guys, you have a wonderful weekend. I mean, really, a wonderful weekend, and enjoy the July 4th holiday. We will be back next week. I'll sell the